This episode of the KarmaCast podcast is brought to you by BoStump.net. Post about. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the KarmaCast podcast. I'm your host Gage, joined by Chrissy. So today we have a very special guest. His name is Jason Buterin. He is an independent filmmaker with Mad Ones Films. Very excited to talk to him. He's just got so much energy and so much experience, and I just can't wait for you guys to to meet him and hear what he has to say. Let's get right into it. So we're going to introduce Jason Buterin. He's here with us today. He's an independent filmmaker. Hey, Jason. And Hello. hey, so you're working on was it Kill Giggles? Is this is the thing that the, the independent film that you're working on now or releasing? Yes. The, the, the passion passion project of the moment, yes. So tell us a little bit about that, because I know that you were rolling that out and wanted to kind of promote it. Oh, well, we haven't started filming anything yet. Um, it's going to be my first feature. We've been doing movies for about 10 years now, a little over 10 years, and a lot of shorts that have had a lot of luck in various circles, so it's time to do a, a feature. Um, I'm terrified of clowns, definitely terrified of clowns. <laughs> And I have a beautiful baby boy, so I figured it was a matter of time before, you know, I take him to a birthday party and the entertainment du jour is Bubbles the floppy-footed fucker. <laughs> um, figured, I figured I had, I had two very simple choices. One was either to get over this crippling coulrophobia or have a very well-rehearsed story about where Jack's daddy disappeared to when the truth of the matter is I'm locked in the trunk of the car crying and screaming like a little child. Um <laughs> So I went over. I went with the psychotherapy route. So it, it's it's ill-advised, self-administered psychotherapy. Um, but I'm effectively going to kill every clown I've ever wanted to in every way possible, and not go to jail for it. So that's sort of it seems win-win. Um, but so so much of the, the the movies and monsters and stuff like that, clowns are always they're always the bad guys. You know, they're always yeah. the, they're always the, they're always the killer. They're always a the demon. They're always they're always the monster and stuff like that. So I kind of wanted to. Um, turn the tables on that, so to speak, and kind of turn it on its, you know, rainbow wig colored head um, and make the clowns the victim this time. So basically the, the clowns, the clowns are the ones that die in this film. Um, we have a serial killer of clowns, not a serial killer who dresses up like a clown. So that's sort of the, the spin behind Kill Giggles. And there's, there's a sort of a Shakespearean love story in there. And there's lots of tongue in cheek moments. And basically like I said, it's just, it was a fun way to kill all the clowns. I really, really want to, um, but not go to jail. So it seems like a good idea, but I've never done it before either. So it could be complete crap. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. So it's kind of like a romantic comedy spinoff murder mystery type thing. Yeah, we'll, just, we'll throw all the genres in there. Um, there. There's something for everyone. It's a family-friendly film. Oh, awesome. Sort of. Well, the Mansons were a family. So, I mean, it, it kind of counts. <laughs> it's a subjective area. Um, but, yeah, we're kind of throwing, throwing in a little bit of everything with this. So Awesome. Sweet. So you've been working on independent films for 10 years now. What are some of the best or the ones that you're most proud of, I guess? Oh, they're all my babies. They're all my darlings. Um, well, it's really exciting. I, I kind of, I got into filmmaking with the 48-hour the film competition and sort of started as a writer and had no idea what I was writing because my first screenplay, I handed my actors like a seven-page prose paragraph that was just one continuous paragraph. I was like, <laughs> here, what lines? And they're like, what lines? I'm like, oh, lines and scene setting and little mm. things like that. Mildly important. In filmmaking, <laughs> that I've never read. Um, so it, it, it sort of evolved into directing. I think once I got into directing, I, that's where my passion really, really sort of amplified. Um, I had written a couple of scripts and stuff like that, and handed them off to directors who were friends, and I just they didn't quite get it. And like you put too much direction in your screenplay. I'm like, well, why don't I just direct the screenplay then? So it, it once I kind of got it, started wearing multiple hats. Um, it, it really kind of picked up, which works out really well because I have a gigantic cranium. 
Um, so it, it works out really well for me. It's like an orange on a toothpick. Um, I mean, really, I, I mean, like you said, I mean, every, everything we've done has been fun. Or I've, I've learned, I've learned at least something from every film set. But um, I think between Hell and a Hard Place, which was because we're, we're on Kill Eagles now, so that was three films ago. We did that in 2014. Um, that was probably one of my most favorite because it's a it's a 25 minute black and white ghost story, um, which is about the, the closest I think I'll ever come to actually making an original episode of The Twilight Zone. Most of it takes place in a car. So, I mean, it's just it's two guys in a car. It's very very simple. Uh, but it just it, and then the actors that I had for it was um, Patrick G. Keenan out of Charlotte, and then Michael Ray Williams out of Hall River, both both North Carolina actors, uh, who were just absolutely fantastic. I mean, phenomenal. So I mean, to me, that that felt like making an episode of The Twilight Zone, which I grew up watching with my mom and my dad. Yeah. Um, so I mean, for for me, that was that that was making. If I never did anything else in film, I at least made that. And even I mean, it won a few awards. It's actually at screening this weekend. This weekend, this weekend at the Enfield Riot Film Festival in Enfield, North Carolina. So um, three, yeah, two years later, it's still got a life on the festival circuit. But that was a lot of fun. The Hot Pink Jesus trilogy was a lot of fun. That was a, a four-year, you know, four-year labor of love. Um, they're all, they're all, they're all fun. I mean, just really, really. In fact, I mean, I've made, I've made art. I mean, for me, it's kind of, it's, it's a legacy for my little boy. Um, yeah, I mean, it's something that can never be unmade. So I kind of, I'm trying to get just doing it so he'll think I'm really cool. That's probably not a probably not an artistic or altruistic reason to admit why you make movies. I want my son to think I'm cool. I mean, that's it. You know, I mean, I want I want to be a hero on his eyes for as long as I can. If I can kill clowns while doing it, everybody wins. You know, exactly. Oh my gosh. So, how, so you started writing, and then you just kind of got into directing. But what really kind of sparked the interest to get into doing what you do originally, initially, way back? Um, you mean writing or, or filmmaking? Both. I mean, what what sparked that interest? Um, you know, just your writing. Yeah, I've always just um, I don't know. I've always my mom my mom started reading to me when I was very very young. I think around three, I started reading books at four. I mean, I just like I I've always had a voracious uh, appetite, a love affair with words. I guess before I even realized that. Um, but I started writing uh, in elementary school. Just I mean, little stories and you know silly little things like that. And then around fifth or sixth grade. Um, there was a, a big a big problem because I read all the books in the elementary school library and they wouldn't let me into the high school library. So I just started writing my own book reports and made up the entire book. And it got to about the second to the last week of school and then my teacher was like, I can't find any of these in the library. So I told her that they don't actually exist. And there was this whole big, huge hullabaloo and I got in a bunch of trouble for plagiarizing, you know, plagiarizing books that I made up in my own head. Uh, and my mom actually put me the creative writing course from there. She's like, well, she got mad at the teacher. She's like, you didn't catch it for all this time. So what does it say about you? Yeah. And this is back in the 80s when education was much, much simpler. You know, the metric system was coming. Um, <laughs> and then, I mean, it's just, the, the, the writing just got out of hand after that. I mean, I've, I've written two or three novels. I mean, I've been a syndicated, you know, syndicated columnist, a music journalist, everything else, poet, author. Um, but, but how that transitioned into movie making is um, I met a beautiful blonde in 2000 back in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Um, and, you know, that she absolutely saved my life and, and was silly enough to go and attend movies with me. And I would, you know, in a lot of movies, I'd always just sort of walk out and be like, you know, it would have been perfect if they'd done this or it had been five minutes shorter. Or I would rewrite the entire last 20 minutes of the movie. And I think after a certain point, she just got fed up of listening to me bitch about it. She's like, all right, well, why don't you do it? And then having to, you know, having to argue with Feminine Wiles, I was just like, um, okay. So I actually had to do it. Um, and then we joined, you know, I joined the 48-hour film team and I said, kind of wrote that seven-page thing. And we, we got an honorable mention for it. Um, which was all thanks due to an editorial error at the very last minute. But that sort of, that honorable mention, I was like, I won an award! It, it wasn't 
it was an honorable mention printed on a sheet of paper, but in my head, that was the Frigili Award. It was a very prestigious award I got for mind powers. Um, it was like a leg lamp from Christmas Story. So, I mean, I, that was that was my little sort of trail. Um, and then from there, I mean, it just it became infectious. Um, you know, I, I didn't I didn't want to just do the forty hour thing. I wanted to do something else. So we wrote a full. I wrote a forty five minute uh, or a little short script called The Devil's Tramping Ground. I wanted to do something about North Carolina ghost, you know, folklore, something North Carolina specific. Um, and I found The Devil's Tramping Ground. I just I'm like, I'm going to write this forty five minute short film. It seemed like a really good idea. Again, in my head. Uh, that was probably like the worst timelines you could ever make for a movie because no festival is going to play it. Like I think my mom played it once. She was like, "Hey, it's too long." Um, <laughs> kind of, kind of, yeah, it was just. But again, I mean, I, and I, that was sort of the trial, you know, a, a trial and error. Um, but that, you know, once I kind of did that, it was just all downhill from that. I got the, you know, the, the zombie obsession. I think every filmmaker, I think it's just a rule that you have to do a zombie film at least one at some point. Um, so kind of went through that and then just sort of started trying to expand my horizon and being able to, to write stuff for other people and stuff like that. So, I mean, it just sort of, it spiraled downhill, but it's been a lovely ride, if that nice. makes sense. What would, <laughs> if you could, right now, where you're at, if you could go back and tell, like, your your 12-year-old self anything, give yourself any kind of advice, what would you tell yourself? <laughs> it's really, really funny because two weeks ago, yeah, two weeks ago I was in Austin, Texas, Um we were screening at the Austin Revolution Film Festival, which is amazing because, I mean, one of, for the second year in a row, one of my movies, something I wrote and directed, has played at a drive-in theater, which I never, ever, ever thought would happen. Um, so it's inspired me. I'm going to make a bucket list, but I figured out that I'm going to do it right before I die, so that way I can just check everything off, and I've got a 100% success rate. <laughs> I don't know why people do that before they die. I mean, it just seems rife with potential problems. But, um, fuck me. What was the question? Oh, uh, go back. So we were, uh, we were at Austin and we snuck over to Fantastic Fest, which is sort of right for its own problems right now. But uh, I have a couple of friends in Monster Squad, Ryan Lambert and Andre Gower, and they were doing, it's the 30th anniversary this year, so they're doing a big, they had a big anniversary party. They took this uh, bar next to the Alamo Draft House and turned it into a Monster Squad museum. I mean, it was just, there was stuff from all over the world, VHS copies from like every single country. They took the clubhouse and recreated it in a corner, the clubhouse scene from Monster Squad, so you could actually look in a window and see the sister changing. I mean, it was just batshit bloody brilliant. Um, but I had snuck in there, or not snuck in there, but I, I had friends that were, you know, those two guys there, so I ended up meeting them there, and like, I'm going to be in part of the documentary now. So the weirdest thing about that is because I grew up watching Monster Squad religiously when it came out. Um, didn't get to see it in the theater, but as soon as, it, as soon as it landed on the VHS market, I was hooked. I was just... I was, I was an addict uh, to the point where my father got tired of driving me the 10 miles into town to rent it every weekend. So he just hooked up two VCR decks and pirated it for me. My dad's a <laughs> um, and then, I mean, I, but I went through like five or six copies of that. Like I would watch it so much the tape would break. Uh, and I mean, you, I, so I, I grew up, I, you know, effectively idolizing these people. And now I'm filmmaking friends with them and Andre and Ryan are going to be in my next movie. So this is weird, divine comedy aspect. You know, I don't know what it is. Whoever the film gods are, I have to be thankful because the movie I grew up idolizing, I'm now friends with three of the people in it. And I'm going to be able to work with them on a project that I wrote. So these, I mean, it's just, there's this weird uh, karma, this weird mystery to life. So like if I had advice to my 12 year old self, my 11 year old self, cause that came out in 87, 76. Yeah. My advice to my 11 year old self, uh, the next 30 years are going to be hell, but it's so fucking worth it. It's not even funny. Um, yes. Also on your 21st birthday, don't do that last shot of Jägermeister. That would be another. <laughs> <laughs> i been there. I'll done that. Yeah. I think we have. I'll always end a horror story, but yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just weird. I mean, stick, stick with it. I mean, yeah. Um, I, most of my advice tends to just be mis, you know, quoted journey lyrics. 
So I mean, it's like, you know, don't, don't stop believing. I mean, any way you want it, there's just any, any Steve Perry line works as a piece of you know, sagacious, like wisdom. Absolutely. Yep, definitely. So if you were going to give advice for any filmmaker, upcoming filmmaker, what do you think, what do you think the most important and the most effective um, pieces of advice would be? Um, I think, I think I've learned, especially being in Greensboro, North Carolina, is just, um, I mean, you, you have to be willing to be able to, to help. Filmmaking is a family, it's a fa- familial relationship. It has to be, unless, unless you've got a, a more of a gigantic cranium than me and you can wear every single hat and you can write and shoot and cut and direct and edit. You can do everything like that. It's just like no, no one person is an island. Um, some people can be peninsulas or just penises, but that gets into a whole different John Dunn misinterpretation. And we're not here to talk about literature. Um, I mean, just make, make, make the movie. If I had one piece of advice, just do it. I know so many people that it's like, I'm going to be a filmmaker. I'm going to do this. And they'll, they'll spend hours and weeks and days and months. And I think we probably all know people like that. It's like, you know, I'm going to, this is my big project. I'm going to do it. And all they do is talk about it. And then they'll talk about something else because they never actually do anything. Um, mm-hmm. even, even if it's going to suck and more than likely your first film or your first hand, if I do it, you know, may, may suck. But you, you made it. You made something that can never be unmade. You know, you, you made the world a better place. You distracted people from, you know, the, the reality of the situation for five minutes, ten minutes, thirty minutes, an hour and a half, something like that. So it's like just just make art um, and then make more. You know, I mean, find find the people. If you, if you have a niche and you know that you want to write, but you don't want to direct, find a director. Uh, find, you know, you want to you shoot, but you don't know anyone that can edit. Find an editor. I mean, there are people out there that have such talents probably in your own town or you know in your own state that you don't even know about so that if if you feel like you don't know where to get started just kind of pick what you want to do and then fill in the blanks from there because you'll you'll be able to find the genius people that's how mad one film sort of came about it's just it's a very creative and collaborative environment and it has to be because if, if you think that you can do it all or if you think that what you do is good and everyone else is sort of aspiring to be you you're dead in the water before you ever film a frame so definitely um, and the other the other rule is just don't be a dick but that kind of, that's kind of my rule for life, really, not just filmmaking as a whole. Um, that's the universal, yeah, yeah, make art and don't be a dick. <laughs> Great that's advice. You yeah. heard it here. Where's to live by. Yep, definitely. There's no more, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so it looks like you travel a lot. So where, have you, where are the most interesting places that you've traveled lately? Um, I was in Paris over the summer, which was really, really rad. Because uh, I got mistaken for Dave Grohl about three or four times, so I was able to add him my my doppelganger dilemma list. Um, Paris was awesome. Austin, Texas is really—I mean, it's just—it's it's a, a beautifully, wonderfully weird town. Um, and I sort of have a slight—if anyone's ever seen my face, face feed taco obsession. I prefer to think of it as taconic enlightenment, just because it sounds better that way. But you know, going to Austin, I mean, it's like taco capital. It's like taco capital of the world. It's fantastic. So, I mean, that Austin has always been really, really cool. Um, where else been? Columbus, Ohio. Went to Nightmares Film Festival last year, and we're getting actually the corner is screening there again in two or three weeks. Um, run uh, the Nightmares Film Festival run by Jason Tostevin, uh, who that, that guy. He's won. I think he probably has more awards named after him than he's won. He's just that fucking brilliant. But um, he runs the Nightmares Festival, and it's at the Gateway Film Center, which is just probably probably one of the most beautiful theaters I've ever screened in. Um, I mean, it kind of makes the Alamo Draft House look like a, a back alley garage with a white sheet and a projector. You know, it's just phenomenal. Um, so, I mean, that's been really cool. But really, really, I mean, every festival I get to go to, I mean, I, I get to, it's just fun just being able to, to hang around in the town and just sort of, you know, run around with the people that are local to that area. There's Crimson Fear, which is down in Charleston, South Carolina. 
um, Tommy Faircloth, Robbie Zobel, those guys run an amazing festival. You know, the Cape Fear one down in Wilmington, um, Rich Garrett. I mean, that, that's an amazing festival in and of itself. So, like, there's there's a lot of cool places that I've been able to go to um, that I, I never would have been able to if I didn't start making movie magic. So, I mean, it's it's changed my life in ways that I'm, I'm sure even I don't realize yet. Um, it's changed my family's life. My son is five and a half years old and now says action before he starts playing. So... Uh, it's possible he might have spent too much time on a film set already, or not enough. I don't really kind of know yet. So, <laughs> you seem like a really amazing dad and husband. I mean, you're. It seems <laughs> like you're like that's your life, and and film is secondary to that. So that's kudos, amazing. Yeah, fatherhood first, filmmaking second. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> the girl, the girl saved my life. The boy saved my soul. So that's all. That's all I can do. There you go. So <laughs> you seem to always go towards like the darker horror end of things and and not so much of the lighter stuff is there a reason for that or is it just i mean i know i love horror and i know the reasons for that but yeah i mean to me i mean to me, i've always had that sort of a, a lifelong love of horror i mean i grew up you know watching the twilight zone the universal horror monsters you know a lot of the um the, the hammer stuff so i mean to me and i think i've even written stuff about it before where it's like you know i don't think as humans we ever we ever feel truly more alive than when we're we were scared you know i'd be able to get that pulse pounding um and then to, to scare people without them even realizing that they're scared or to make them think, you know, to be able to have that sort of that sort of effect on people, um, I think is, is one of the, the key things that I've always wanted to do with filmmaking. Um, forgot the question again. I got distracted by my phone. <laughs> That's okay. Where, um, where no, are you? Oh, the darkness. The darker side. Sorry. I started yes. thinking about the uh, Eddie and the Cruiser's theme song got stuck in my head. Um which is really weird because I got a friend request from Michael Perret on Facebook. Um, but I've just, I've always floated on the dark side. I mean, there's that wonderful duality of life and stuff like that. No matter how light something is, I mean, there's always a darkness to it and vice versa. So I've, I've sort of drifted around horror, but the next, the next couple of projects we sort of have coming up, um, one of the next shorts I want to write is just, is a, a dramatic piece um, called the blue eyed boy and Mr. Death where, you know, it's just sort of a, uh, but I mean, there's no, no special effects, no zombies, no dead clowns, no clown death. Um, no tacos, no topless taco bar. So I, I don't even, I'm sure if there's going to be profanity in it, which is really weird for me. Um, so you know, so we will sort of have that one coming. There's a couple of horror comedies I think kind of come after that. And after that, I want to do a romance comedy. I've had an idea of running amok in my skull for five or six years now that I really need to be able to get out. And I, I think it's one of those things that nobody would see it coming from us. Um, so yeah, it's definitely stuff on the agenda. And then my son and I keep writing little ideas down. So I really want to try and film some of his stuff too. He told me a 10-minute story today about a guy named Laserhead, and it sounded amazing. Um, so we've already got a distribution deal locked in with Sci-Fi Channel. So that, that, that worked out really well before lunch. Um, well, that's cool. No, I made that last part up. But I'm pretty sure if I just call and ask for a time slot, they'll be like, uh, how's Thursday at 6? Because obviously you don't need an idea or really a good movie anymore. Um, no, that's true. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So. <laughs> so, yeah, but it's just, yeah, I like I like the darkness. It's my friend, I guess. Nice. Nice. So you you're I'm gonna evil. be what's that? A lot of people think I'm evil, um, so it works out really well. You just have so much energy about you that you just seem like you the Energizer Bunny, and you can just keep going forever. I don't know if you can see the little video, but the coffee helps. I'm drinking Death Wish coffee, Zach Wilde's official coffee brand. So. so I guess I'll. I know you've got to bring your little boy to My Little Pony, so. <laughs> um, I guess we'll wrap things up, but it's been amazing talking to you and getting inside of your head for that brief yep. minute or two that you've had. <laughs> this was awesome. Thank you so much. 
Yeah. Hey, we'd love to have you back anytime. Yeah. You just Welcome let me know. On the show. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, take care, Jason. You guys too. Thanks. Yep. yep Thank bye-bye. you. Have a good day. Bye. So I hope you guys did enjoy today's podcast. Um, Jason was a really, really cool dude. Um, as you can tell, he has a pretty adventurous life, um, and I think it's pretty interesting. Um, so without further ado, um, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, all our social networking sites, like the podcast, share it with your friends, share it with your mom, share it with your dad, share it with your uncle, share it with your aunt, share it with your cousin, I don't know who, share it with your hamster, your cat, I don't know, um, I don't know if Chrissy has anything to say. Just stay on the good side of karma. Gage, signing off.